Welcome back. So we left off talking about crimes against people, and this week we'll move on to crimes against property. So let's first begin with theft. Historically, theft was broken into three main categories, so larceny, embezzlement, and false pretense, and let's go over the basic definitions of each. The basic definition of larceny is the intentional and unlawful taking and carrying away of another's property. Embezzlement is when the accused original possession of property was lawful, but later the accused converts the property for an unlawful use, and then theft by false pretense is obtaining another's property by deception or false information. So there are the basic definitions of each, but modern statutes combine these three into what's called consolidated theft statutes. So it has all of these crimes, it's just one big statute as catch-all. And typically the differentiating parts, especially in the grading, are broken down by the monetary value. So we'll talk about that shortly. All right, so consolidated theft. What are the elements? The criminal act is the stealing of real property, and real property is things like land or buildings. And then personal property, movable property, that would be things like money or jewelry or electronics, or the stealing of services, um, or not performing said services. So the stealing can happen in many ways. It can be taking, which means the person gained control and moved the item, so it's a larceny theft. It can be converting property to your own ownership, which is a conversion issue, which goes into embezzlement. Or it can be taking by falsely representing a fact, so a false pretense theft. And that's generally more related to services. All right, so what about the criminal intent? For theft, there must be a specific purposely intent um, or general, which is knowingly intent. And the person must intend to take and intend to keep. So typically permanently, but not for embezzlement, though. And for false pretense theft and larceny by trick, the individual must have the intent that the representation of fact is false. Um, and that has to be through general intent and must represent it as so in order to deceive. So there does have to be specific intent and it has to be purposeful to do that portion. So they have to knowingly give faulty information to purposely trick the other person into giving them their property. Now, in theft statutes, there are attendant circumstances, those additional circumstances. So first, the property must belong to someone else, so it's not the defendant's. And two, the victim doesn't give consent for the defendant to take it. And then there are additional attendant circumstances depending on the type of theft. For embezzlement, there must be a relationship of trust and confidence between the defendant and victim. So something like an employee and an employer or a banker and a bankee, etc. And there are additional attendant circumstances for false pretense and larceny by trickery. And the victim in that case has to not know that the information is false. And then lastly, there's causation and harm. The causation is always that the act must cause the harm, and the harm is the victim's temporary or permanent loss of property or services, no matter how slight the value. And as mentioned before, there is grading for theft, and that's a big deal for this crime, is there are many charges that can come. So something all the way down to like petty theft up to grand theft. Um, petty theft or theft of the second or third degree is generally a misdemeanor, while things up to grand theft or theft of the first degree are generally a felony, depending on the amount stolen or whether the item stolen is a firearm. So as said, amounts matter for charging. So let's go over California law for this. How many people remember Prop 47? This was passed in California in 2014 to raise the amount of money necessary to charge grand theft as a felony from $450 to $950. And there was a lot of controversy over this proposition as it was argued that this would then give the green light to low-level property criminals to steal as they pleased with little re repercussion from the law as long as it was under the $950. But did it do this? There was an increase in larceny and shoplifting, so somewhat. 
But it was speculated that other crimes, notably violent ones, would also stem from it too, and that didn't happen. Additionally, when we look at the effectiveness of a policy change, we don't necessarily always look solely at outcomes. We may also be interested in, say, the cost effectiveness. And this is where things get interesting with this policy change. One of the reasons for this change at the time was to help alleviate further incarceration for these seemingly low-level offenses. Remember, California was operating at about 167% occupancy in our prison system, and we needed to lower our rates of incarceration. So researchers wanted to know what the impact of the policy was, and from and research from 2016 found that this policy change resulted in a decrease of about 15000 in the prison population, and the average inmate costs roughly $80,000 a year to incarcerate. So, in just a one-year time span, California saved about $1.2 billion. And considering these were mainly offenders who had stolen less than, say, $950, and even if every one of them had stolen $949 worth of items, this would only equate to about $14.2 million. So this means that we as a society saved 84.5 times as much money by simply not incarcerating these individuals. And again, yes, larceny and shoplifting rose, but only by about 9%. So did it work? Was it effective? Well, you decide what effective means to you. Next up, let's talk about extortion, a.k.a. blackmail. For extortion, the criminal act is the theft of property accomplished by a threat to cause future harm to the victim, including the threat to inflict bodily injury. Um, could be like things like accusing the person of committing a crime or revealing a secret that would expose them um, to ridicule or hatred or what have you. The criminal intent for this is specific. So it has to be purposely in that intention. And that's it's specific to commit the criminal act and to unlawfully deprive the victim of property permanently. This crime does have attendant circumstances. The property stolen does not belong to the defendant and the victim does not consent to the defendant taking it. That's your attendant circumstances. And then remember, causation is always that the act must cause the harm. And the harm for extortion is that the defendant must obtain the property. If it's just threatened, it's actually just attempted extortion. And for grading, um, due to the use of threat, it's generally graded as a felony. Next up, let's talk about robbery. Robbery is highly misunderstood as most assume that places can be robbed, but they can't. Only people can. Robbery is a taking of property unlawfully by force or threat of force from the victim. So within this, the criminal act is the taking of personal property by force or threat of force to the individual. And the threat has to be imminent. And the required intent here is specific intent, so purposely, to take the property permanently. And there are a few attendant circumstances here, too. The property being taken does not belong to the defendant, and the victim does not consent to the defendant taking it. And the property must be taken from the victim's person or presence. This is really a victim or person-based crime. So the next time someone tells you that their house was robbed when they were at work, call them out, as that would not be a robbery. Lastly, the causation is that the act must cause the harm, and the harm is that the property transferred to the defendant, um, though threat alone can suffice. There is no attempted robbery statute, so don't go out threatening to take things from others by force, as you can still get charged with robbery. On that note, this crime is also graded, but it's almost always a felony, as we view the threat of immediate harm to others to be extremely culpable and want to deter people from acting this way. And this is also why seriously injuring someone, using a weapon or threat of weapon, grades it higher. This becomes what we call like an aggravated or armed robbery. And while robbery alone typically carries about a five-year sentence, the enhancements for serious injury and or weapons can get you upwards of 20 years to 99 years, depending on the state that you commit this crime.
Next up, let's talk about burglary, as this is also an often misunderstood crime. While most assume that burglary and theft are synonymous, they aren't. Burglary is simply the entry into a building illegally with intent to commit a crime once inside, especially theft. So really, it's just enhanced trespassing, as the person doesn't have to commit any crime once inside to get charged with burglary. So the criminal act for burglary is breaking and entering into the area. And some statutes also require remaining, which is kind of just like lingering there. And any physical force suffices for the breaking, even pushing open, say, a closed door. And entering can occur with any bit of body or of tools, etc. And the intent for this crime is just general intent, so knowingly, to commit the breaking and entering act, and then specific intent, so purposely, to commit a crime once in there. There are attendant circumstances again, so the structure or building, etc., has to belong to someone else besides the defendant, or at least they have a right to be in the place. So a landlord can burglarize, say, a tenant. Also, some statutes require the location to be locked, so in California with vehicles, so make sure to lock your vehicle as little can be done if someone goes into it unlocked and takes all that change from your center console. And some require that the location is occupied, not necessarily right then, but it has to just be something that isn't abandoned. Um, and then with this, there's no causation or harm required. Remember, the intended crime doesn't have to occur once inside. And this, again, is graded. It's generally graded as a felony. Um, so example, first degree residential burglary in California is a felony. Um, and then second degree commercial burglary is a wobbler. And that means it can be charged as either a misdemeanor or a felony. And remember, criminal trespass is basically the same as this, but with no intention to commit a crime once you're inside. All right, so that's the main gist of content for this week. I want to end with a conversation about the future of crime. While all of the crime types that we went over are clearly problems and are criminal issues, most of these types of crimes may be changing as a result of our technological advances. So while our UCR data shows a clear decline in property crime rates over almost the past 30 years, remember to look at what categories are there. You'll see things like robbery, burglary, larceny or theft, motor vehicle theft, etc. that are there. But what about other types of theft-based crimes? What about cyber crimes too? Interestingly, it's kind of left out. And again, while street-level crimes such as those in the UCR are declining, cyber-related crime is booming. And most of it is highly organized crime. Studies show that the most common crime is identity fraud. Most of you in this class have likely already experienced this at some point or another. If you had a credit card get canceled due to compromised personal information, well, there you go. Um, or maybe found out someone tried to open a new credit card in your name. Yeah, again, most of you may have experienced this. And credit card fraud is the most prevalent form of identity fraud. Yet interestingly, we typically aren't all that worried about that and do little to protect ourselves. Yet we carry our pepper spray with us when we walk in preparation for crimes that occur much less, much less frequently. So how often does identity fraud occur? Estimates show that nearly 14.3 million people per year were victimized by identity fraud, and that's per 2019 data. But most don't report this to, say, federal or state or local agencies. Only about 3.2 million do. And it came with an estimated cost of $1.9 billion just out of that 3.2 million that did reporting. And where does the problem come from? Big breaches in data. Again, per that 19 or per that 2019 study, there were about um, 1,400, 1,400 to 1,500 breaches exposing personal data of about 165 million people. 
By total number of breaches, the number one sector impacted was business sector. Second was medical or healthcare sector, so your medical records. Third is education sector, so hello, things like colleges. And then fourth was banking and financial. However, banking and financial had the most information exposed and accounted for about 60% of the data that was exposed. And hacking and unauthorized access contributed the most with nearly 75% of the data breaches with nearly 95%, so about 157 million records exposed. Cybercrime costs estimate to be in the billions, if not the trillions of dollar per, dollars per year. Estimates as low as about $500 million per year to upwards of $3 billion in cost per year. So again, UCR property crime is down, but is it or did it just migrate to new methods, perhaps? Food for thought for you. All right, that's it, folks. Until the next time you take a nice, fun class with me and you get to listen in for some fun podcasts, I guess. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and best of luck as you move forward.